Well, life, life, how is it going? How's it going? How are you? It's a very British question to ask, isn't it? How are you? And when you uh, ask that question, you often expect a very British answer, don't you? It's something like, oh, I'm okay, I'm good. You? Of course, when you ask, you're not expecting anything beyond that kind of trivial, slightly glib, oh, I'm okay. Think of your so-called friends for a moment, if you can. Do you really know how they are? Do they really know how you are? I was reading over the summer on holiday a little bit of Proverbs again, and uh, Proverbs 14.10 is true, and let me just say, it's a really happy verse, it says this, Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. See, the actual reality is that apart from God, in this world we are pretty much totally alone. No one really knows you. No one really understands you. And you don't know anyone. And you don't really understand anyone. So in some ways, we are very, very alone. But God in his kindness has not created us to be that way, completely alone. We have each other, and of course we have him. But we aren't great, are we, at knowing each other? Or understanding each other? But to be honest, the problem is often that we aren't very good at being able to say who we really are, how we really feel, how we are doing. We struggle really, don't we, to say how life really is. We don't want to be a burden and moan. And likewise, you don't want to go the opposite way. It's, oh, life's amazing. My life is so great at the moment. I know yours isn't, but yeah, everything's falling into place, as I imagined. It's difficult to express, isn't it? The variety that we feel throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the months. The tensions that we often feel. One moment we're just in great joy, things work out. And one moment we're just in absolute sorrow. But isn't that life? Certainly the Christian life. I want us to get to a point today, if we can, where we we know how to rightly answer this question. How are you? Because you get asked it probably ten times a day. How's life? You see, the songwriter here in Psalm 119 doesn't seem to have the problem that I guess I know I have, and I I guess one or two of us may have as well. Uh, He can answer that question authentically, honestly, accurately. And at every point, what he does is he draws himself back uh, to the solid foundation, both in his joys, but also the solid foundation in his sadnesses and his sorrows. And that is the word of God. Remember that... Have a look down, you'll see, uh, if you haven't been here and you kind of got to get your head into Psalm 119, you'll see that it's, it's an acrostic song. What I mean by that is that every sentence of each section begins with the same Hebrew letter that it's titled under. So you'll see a little squiggle, it's a Hebrew letter, it kind of spells out what that letter is. And then in the Hebrew, the, every single line of those next eight verses would begin with that Hebrew letter. In a sense, what the, 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 the songwriter is doing is he's... He's playfully kind of working around uh, in these little sections through the Hebrew alphabet. He's playing. He's having fun. And it's all about the Word of God. He delights in it. Hence the series title, Delighting in the Word of God. 
And he, he uses, I don't know if you remember this, he uses eight words which repeat again and again and again. Uh, and they're words like laws and statutes and precepts and commandments. And they all speak about the word of God, the Bible. And it's everything to him in his life. And that is essentially life within a covenant relationship with God. And it is that covenant relationship of, with God established by his grace. It's like the tune of the song, of the psalm. Now, you don't understand what I mean by that metaphor, don't you? It, that it, it, this isn't him showing off how much he knows about God's word. Hey, look at me, look how clever I am. It's not, it's not that. He's not saying, look how great my relationship with God is. No, it's not about him. It's a song delighting in God and the promises of his word. Covenant promises that have saved and will preserve his life for eternity. So the tune, the, the tone of this psalm is therefore one of just, he's so humble, he's so thankful for all that God has done and will do as promised in his word. So how is life? How are things going? What is your answer at this stage? Is it just, I'm okay. You? Well, I hope and pray by the end of this short talk, we will be able to answer that question a little bit better, a little bit more accurately. Look, I know it's a massive section. Thank you, Joe, for reading it so well. Um, and that is why I want to focus on this, uh, in a sense, just, just one area, a main emphasis. I think it is the main emphasis of this section. Of course, let's be honest, there's other stuff here, loads of stuff here. But I want us to focus on life. So when someone says to you, how's life going? You can say more, a little bit more. A little bit more than just okay. And life is certainly the main theme, I think, uh, of many of the prayers within these, this section. And also the praise within this section. Uh, it's true, uh, it's there in five times between verse 144 and 159. Life is mentioned again and again. And again, there's this little re refrain, re repeated uh, phrase. Preserve my life, he says. That shows a bit of the context, doesn't it? Things aren't that easy for him, as we will see. Life isn't a breeze. But life is lived. Ups and downs. The joys, along with the sorrows. The challenges. And whatever this man faces, whatever the songwriter faces, he clings to the word of God throughout so if you asked him, how's life? I think from these last verses of Psalm 119, he would say something as we might see on the outline. Uh, do cast your eyes down there. I hope it, hope it is helpful. We'll go through those now if we may. Firstly, he said, I think he would say, hey, how's life? Well, I know God's promises. That's what he would say. Let's look at the first section together, verse 137 to 144. And the first section... It really is a celebration of God's goodness, particularly his, the word is rightness, if you like. The rightness of the word is particularly uh, kind of shining through, and the promises of his word. So if you look at 137 and one, verse 138, that's the small little numbers there, they're the verses. Verse 144, we see the word of God is right. It is righteous. 
That is, God's word is trustworthy. It is thoroughly tested, we see in verse 140. The songwriter is utterly thrilled. Because God's word is true. And so the character of God's word thrills him. Why? Because it is founded in the God of the word. Practically, you see, therefore, we're to believe and rely on what, this, what the Word of God says, the, what the Bible says, because of God himself. He is utterly faithful. He is utterly true, righteous and right. We can trust the Word and the promises of the Word today, tomorrow, and every single day that is to come. So our future is an absolute certainty as we trust the word of God and the God of the word. Therefore, how should we respond in life? Uh, in some ways, you're tempted, aren't you, always, to, to just sort of put up our feet and sort of say, oh, let's just relax and God's done everything. We can trust him every day. That's fine. He will keep us. He will preserve us. But look how the songwriter responds. Verse 139. It's interesting, isn't it? My zeal, he says, wears me out. Despite the low view of God and his word in those around him, his enemies at the end of that verse, he is zealous, isn't he, to serve God, to make him known, to bring honour to his name. Oh, things are tough. We see that in verse 143. But despite that, he knows God's word has promised final victory. So he delights in the word and the promises of God's word. And so how are you? How are you? Well, the songwriter would respond very graciously. He said, well, I know God's promises. And look what they lead to. Verse 144, just at the end there. They give me understanding that I may live. You see what he's saying there? If we understand God's present and future promises, whatever we go through, struggles, joys, whatever it is, you can get through them knowing that there's something better, something infinitely better to come. See, knowing God's promises help us live today. Yes, they do, of course. But the songwriter, you see, he can shed tears of grief in the morning because of his circumstances. But they should always be mingled with tears of joy as well for all that is to come promised through God's word. Of course, what the songwriter delights in, the righteousness of God, we see in verse 142. Do you see that, that righteousness of God there? Who's that pointing us to? Of course, it's Christ. He's praying more than he knows. In a sense, he prefigures Christ here. Of course, it's Christ's righteousness in whom we are safe for eternity. So how are you? Well, you should say something like this. I know God's promises and they help me live today for an eternity to come. Let's look at the second point. Uh, Psalmist would say something like this. He said, well, I know the nearness of God. I know the nearness. Second section, verse 145 onwards. Life is tough. We see that. The songwriter certainly feels it. Verse 145, he calls out. He's literally crying out to God. Rescue me there, please. It's really desperate in his tone. Verse 147 and 148, he's up in the night praying. Do we see that? He's also up early in the morning to pray as well. I wonder, do, do we do that? 
When things are tough, little reminder, isn't it? Where do you turn? I mean, a songwriter in difficult times knows in prayer that he will put his hope solidly, completely on the word of God. He knows he has to meditate, he says, on his promises. But notice that how are his prayers shaped? They're shaped by God's promises, aren't they? Not by what he wants and desires. What do you pray when life gets tough? And we've all gone through it, haven't we? I wonder what you pray. If you're anything like me, it'd be something like this. Please, God, just make it a little bit easier for me if you possibly could. Now, I've wanted this thing, I've wanted these circumstances, I wanted to go, I've wanted this for so long. I think it's the only possible way that I could really be happy and content in life. Please make these things happen if you could. I know you could. It'd be great if you could. Now, the songwriter doesn't go there, he simply prays that he would cling to God's promises. In verse 148. I remember an old friend. He was once prayed for at this meeting. He was quite young and he was there with his wife. And, and this person who was praying for them promised and they said, Hey, God's, God's told me that you're going to have children. They were struggling and so on. <coughs> My friends Mark and Diana are now in the late 50s and that silly promise from a very well-meaning person, I'm sure, has crushed them for many years. God hasn't promised children. God hasn't promised easy, well-paid jobs. God hasn't promised perfect children. God hasn't promised husbands. God hasn't promised wives, or nice houses, or fast cars. God has promised to those who have trusted the covenant promises of his word, known to us through Christ, God has promised forgiveness for our sin and an eternity to come. It's all secured in Christ's life, death and resurrection. If you do not know that gospel truth, that good news, speak to me afterwards. Oh, in the songwriter's words, in verse 149, he says, preserve my life. And look at the name he describes. Uh, he, he speaks of God there, the Lord, capitals there. It's his covenant name. Preserve my life, Lord, in your covenant promises, according to your laws, your word. See, the songwriter knows that if he looks to any other promise uttered by anyone else, his heart will be utterly crushed. So he sees God's word as the anchor that keeps him trusting in God's promises. But as I, yeah, as I titled this, notice the nearness of God. It's really important here and it's really important to us, I think. Look at verse 150. There are lots of things around him, whether they're people or temptations, that would do him harm, his enemies. And they, he feels them. They're near. And we know that. You know that, don't you? You know the temptations you feel. How near do they feel? Verse 151, God is nearer. God is nearer. Yet you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. 
I wonder how far you're willing to sail away from God's word. Do you treasure the nearness of God that's found in the word? I hope you realise it's the only thing that will keep you trusting in God's promises. Look at verse 152. Long ago I I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. He's saying there's a solidity about trusting in the promises of God's word that means you can wholly trust in it, whatever the struggle, for however long, forever. His promises will be true. Don't be a fool. Don't run from God's word. Regular feeding personally as you get up in the morning or in the evening, whenever you can do that. And coming to hear the Bible preached is, is not just a top up that you get and you kind of, oh, that'll be all right for a few years and then I'll be fine for the rest of my life. Absolutely not. You will need God's word penetrating your heart for all the years of your life until you take your last breath. And perhaps the most of all as you take your last breath. That should make you think before you accept a new job, before you move house. We all need the regular nearness of God in our lives through his word and by his spirit. There are many great churches out there. But the first priority you think about when you consider big moves like that, it should be church. Feeding on God's word. Nothing else. We need it because look what we're surrounded by. You know the nearness of all the struggles that you face. You know the nearness of all the enemies and the hostility. You feel it every day, so don't be naive. Come close and know the nearness of God through his word. How are you? The psalmist would say, I know the nearness of God. That is, life may be hard at times. Trouble's near, but God is nearer. Thirdly, the psalmist would say, we're rattling through them now. Uh, I know the greatness of God. I know the greatness of God. Cast your eyes down at verse uh, 150, uh, 153, sorry, and following. Now this section, it's very similar to the previous section. You'll see that because the last verse of 152, the previous section, and the last verse of this section, verse 160, they're really similar, aren't they? Therefore, we won't spend too long here. The affliction and the, su- and the suffering that the songwriter has expressed in the previous section. Now this is very much the forefront of his mind right now. Look at verse 153. Look on my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. This suffering has been a theme throughout the whole of this song. If you want to make a note, you can see it began back in verse 50. 67, verse 67, verse 71, and verse 75. Suffering, suffering, suffering. It's been a whole way through. And it's acted, in a sense, as a, a bit of a providential pointer by God. That is, God has been saying through that suffering, through that affliction, that this is not where you belong, songwriter. Eternity is where you belong. I'm pointing you that way. Affliction, it's painful. Suffering, it's painful. But it's also very helpful too. Don't resent it. Once again in verse 154, he prays more than he knows. That is that God would defend. Look at the words he uses. He uses the words redeem. And that he would be, his life would be preserved. And ultimately again, of course this is a prefiguring of Jesus. The one who pleads for our cause, who defends us before the judge. 
if we put our trust in him. But look at verse uh, 156, 157. This is the contrast that uh, the two pre- previous, um, the, sorry, the previous section, we had that lovely contrast of nearness, didn't we? The nearness of sin and evil against the nearness of God. And here we have a different contrast. Now it's a contrast of greatness. Remember, he's afflicted, he's suffering, he's going through it, isn't he? But he turns to God's word and to remind himself that the covenant Lord's compassion is what? It's great. great and by contrast in verse 157 he says many are my enemies literally the, the word of many there is great are my enemies the same word see the point however great the struggle that you may go through now or in the future God is greater God is greater so how is life how are you See, the authentic Christian answer is not the glib okay. It's something like this, up to this point in this psalm. I'm holding on to the promises of God in Christ. I may be surrounded by affliction and great enemies, but I know from God's word that he is nearer and greater in his mercy. So I rest my present and my future on this word that is true for eternity. That eternal trustworthiness comes out in verse 160, as I've mentioned already. So the songwriter, let's push on, let's go to our fourth point. He goes, now we see him say, how are you? He, He would express all kinds of things here, lots of them coming out. He knows joy, love, praise, peace, hope, they're all going to come through here very quickly. Let's look at verse 161 to 168. And this really is the high point of the whole psalm, if you like. The whole psalm. It's full of praise. Praise because it's a foretaste of the future, eternity with God. All of that that's being brought into his present day experience. Now remember, his situation hasn't changed. And look at it, you see it in the first verse of this section, verse 161. He makes it very clear. Powerful people persecute him, but he isn't in awe of them. He isn't frightened of them. I remember I, I, had, a, I had to go and meet this guy. Uh, he, he asked to come and meet me. I had to go meet him. Very wealthy man, very well-known man. It was a few months back. I remember coming out of the tube at Bank, State, uh, Bank Station, walking to his office, going through security. It's one of those kind of offices being escorted in the lift, never had to do that. I wasn't even allowed to press the button. What's that all about? I remember meeting his PA, still hadn't quite got to him. I was escorted to the boardroom, this huge mahogany table. I remember sitting there like a fish out of water in a cheap, ill-fitting suit, thinking to myself that I may actually be sick over this mahogany table right now. I wonder, have you ever been intimidated like that by a person? I think the CEO of your company walks around, or the boss, or whoever it is, and ooh. The man I actually met walked into the room with his Bible open, and he asked me questions about Romans. He'd been preparing a Bible study earlier that day. He was going to do it later on that evening. That was him. But it's very easy, isn't it, to be in awe of powerful people, 
even frightened of powerful people and what they can do and the, and the power they have and the money they have. But you notice the songwriter here, he doesn't stand in awe of and, and, and fearing people who can kill him. He stands in awe before the powerful word of God. Isn't that interesting? In the presence of the awesome word of God, that is where the songwriter, you see, finds future grace being poured into his present experience. Now look at what he finds. Uh, He finds joy to begin with. Look at verse 162. The word is described as great spoil. I love that, great spoil. And the great uh, Reformation theologian, uh, John Calvin, described it as something that was three times welcome. I love that little phrase. Now, let me just kind of spell that out. Spoil is great, isn't it? Do you know what spoil is? Uh, it's great, you know, you, you have a battle and you kind of, you go in there because uh, after the battle and you can take whatever you like from the people that you've won over. And spoil is great three times welcome because it signals great victory, doesn't it? You've won. You can take the spoil. Secondly, it's great because it's a great value. You can, you can take your pick. You can, you, you can get all the things you want. Thirdly, it's great because it's unexpected. Now, you see, we rejoice in the promises of God's word because we are victorious in Christ. It is a pearl of great price. And you will unexpectedly, undeservedly inherit the whole earth. Why would you not rejoice because of that? If you are a person of the word of God, you ought to be a rejoicing person. Whatever the circumstances of your life. If you do not rejoice, one scholar put it this way, he said, you're a practical liberal, he said, which is fairly scathing. That is, he's saying, our joy in the word is the test of the value that we place on the word. How are you? Well, some writer would say, I know joy, but he also, I, I know love. Love is really key to this section. Look at it. Verse 163, 165, 167. It's, it's love, love, love. He loves the word of God. Because from it comes right thinking. From right thinking comes right life, right decision making, right choices. He loves it so much. Everything is totally turned upside down as we love God's word and it penetrates our hearts and our lives. The songwriter loves it. So he knows joy, he knows love, he knows to praise as well. What verse 164, seven times a day he praises. Now he's not being a religious fanatic there, whether it's seven or five or three or 27. The point is he longs to praise God because of his word and the promises in his word. He praises because he is led by the word, preserved by the word for eternity. If you were to shoot this guy, praise would just literally pour out of him. Even in the midst of suffering, he praises God. I I, I wonder, there will be some here, and life is really pretty rubbish right now. And it's hard. Maybe just an area of your life. And it's really tough. Why don't you just write down a list of things that you can praise God for? And when you're feeling utterly low and miserable, think of all of those things. Recall them that you know from God's word to be true. That you can praise God for. 
Do people know you as a person of praise? I wonder. Certainly a songwriter, that is true of him, isn't it? I know joy, I know love, I know to praise. He also knows peace. Look at verse 165. He knows peace. It's deep peace, even amidst suffering. Why? Well, I guess, as we saw last week, I'm not going to dwell on this, but the word is a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. He knows where he's going. He's got peace in that. That's great. He knows joy, love, he knows the praise, peace. He's also got hope, verse 166. Sure and certain hope as he trusts the promises of God. See, future grace, all the things of the future have been poured out into his daily life, his present experience. And look at the songwriter's response in verse 168. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. What an incredible thing to say. He just says, God sees absolutely everything. And I love that. I remember in our previous house, uh, some of you will know this, probably many of you know this, we had a little bit of a problem with rats in our previous house. A very normal London issue, but we had quite a severe problem with rats. And, and what happens when you, you go into your kitchen and it's dark and uh, you turn the... Linda, don't squirm. I, I know you're not very good at this. <clears throat> when you turn the light on, what happens? Rats whoosh, scurry away. They go. I use the plural here because that's true of the circumstance that we lived in for quite a while. Rats love the darkness, don't they? A songwriter loves the light. He sings for joy because God sees it all. He knows every detail, every thought, every, everything. And how is that possible for him? How can he possibly say such a thing after all of these things he's, he's praised God for, he, he enjoys? It's simply because he trusts the covenant promises of God. God is for him, as Romans 8.31 says. And so he's safe. And he can walk through every day of his life at knowing joy, love, praise, peace, hope boldly in the presence of God because he trusts the word of God and the God of the word. So how are you? You know God's promises. I know the nearness of God, the greatness of God. Joy, love, praise, peace, hope. And lastly, last one very quickly. He knows the tension of the now and what will be. Last section, verse 169 to the end. And this seems a really odd end. Every scholar you turn to, you've got to go, whoa, this is a bit of a strange one. There's a bit of a curveball coming at the end here. It's very, very, very strange. Why not end on the high note of the previous section? Because that's where most of us would want to end it, isn't it? You know, as you say to someone, you might get into a bit of a conversation, how's your life? You'll, you'll go through all the stuff, but you always end with the best bits, don't you? Oh, we had an amazing holiday. We've done a wonderful extension. Job, just brilliant at the moment. Have you seen my shoes? That's not me, but maybe some of you, you know, how it goes. Isn't that how your life story generally ends with the great stuff? This last section is really interesting, I think, because it provides us with this really strange tension. It's a mix of praise, but it's also a mix of just deep, heart, gut-wrenching prayer as well. It begins with prayer. Look at it. He's crying to God. Life is hard. But you get to verse 171 and one, verse 172. And look, his lips overflow with praise. 172, he can't stop singing God's praises. If you consider yourself a person of God's words, 
You ought to be a person that just bubbles over with praise. Christopher Ash, who I think has written a really great book on this psalm, uh, put it this way. Churches where men and women are being changed by the word and the spirit of God ought to be marked by praise that puts others in the shade. Is that true of you? And is that true of us? The songwriter then flips back, you see in verse 173, until 175, it's prayer, it's harvest, it's, it's struggle. He can't make up his mind, can he? It's prayer, it's praise, it's prayer, it's praise. It, oh, it's back and forth the whole time, this tension. But isn't that life? Isn't that your experience as being a Christian? It is living with the tension of struggles, yes, joys now as well. Waiting for only joys to come. Isn't that the tension you know? And that you feel? So how are you? The authentic uh, answer for a Christian should be something like this. I know God's promises and I'm clinging. I know the nearness of God and the greatness of God. I know joy, love and praise and peace and hope. And I know the tension of the now. Waiting for the what will be. The thing is, I don't think you can really answer that question until you begin to acknowledge who you really are. Which is how the songwriter strangely ends. Have you spotted that last verse? We'll finish here. I've strayed like a lost sheep. Look what it says. I've strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Now, if you had written... Such an amazing piece of songwriting, literature. Imagine yourself, just for a moment, that you managed to pencil down these 176 verses in a Hebrew acrostic, um, you know, penning all this out. How would you finish? I am awesome. That's how I would finish. I am truly amazing. And I am so clever. And you all need to know that. I'd probably sign my name at the end as well. Look what he says. I've strayed like a lost sheep. Why? I mean, he's brilliant. And he's godly. And he trusts God in such amazing ways. Through such difficult times. Why a lost sheep? Sheep are dumb. Uh, they, they run off. They're helpless and they are weak. He knows himself. He's so aware of his weakness. He's so aware that by nature he will go astray from God's word. So much so that he like himself, likens himself to something so pathetic. A lost sheep. I don't know, have you ever come to church and you've heard a talk and you thought, well, I'm going to be like this. Or you go to a great conference and you kind of come away and you're still in the middle of the meeting and it's, yeah, I'm going to be like this for God. And it's going to be great. And by the time that you've actually walked out of that building, you've been angry with a friend, angry with your kids, look lustfully at someone. How quickly? How easy? Lost sheep. We're lost sheep needing a good shepherd. One who would lay down his life for his sheep and guide his sheep through his word and by his spirit. We are lost sheep. 
And we have a very good shepherd. And his name is Jesus. And we are very weak. And he is incredibly strong. We are very easily led astray. And he, through his word, is utterly reliable. Trust him. Trust him. How are you? It's okay to say, I'm in a complete muddle. Sometimes I praise God and sometimes I just cry out to God in prayer. But I'm held by the word of God from the pain, painful presence for the glorious future. I know joy. I know what it is to praise. I know love and peace and hope and many more things. So how are you really? Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you so much. It's been such a great joy to spend so many weeks in this longest of chapters in the Bible and wonderful song of Psalm 119. May we, as the songwriter does, delight in your word. And whatever comes our way in the next days, weeks, months, years, may we, like him, whatever our circumstances, delight in your word, trust your word, keep coming back to your word, know that it is a light to our feet and a, a lamp to our path the other way around. Lord, we pray that we would never think that we were strong enough to do this on our own, we are lost sheep and we have a great good shepherd. May we trust him. May we trust his word, I pray. Amen.